All right, great to see everyone. Blessings to you all. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm Pastor Terry. I'm the lead pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. You know, our focus is on breakthrough. That's going to be our theme for the year. It's our prayer for us as a church community, and it's my prayer for you that uh, and, and for myself, that we would experience breakthrough at a number of dimensions, right? And even now, Lord, we welcome you in. We welcome you in to speak to us, to, to work in our lives, to work in our hearts, to work your purposes, and to bring the breakthrough that we are all aspiring to. And this is what we pray in Jesus' name. You know, we focused uh, last Sunday, actually, on the account of a young king in the Old Testament named Hezekiah. And I want to pick back up and finish it. I want to draw life from it. I think there's so much for us. Are you ready? Let's go. Second Chronicles 29, verse 1. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became the king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did, in contrast to his father, what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. Instead of his father, he used King David as his role model. Isn't that interesting? And notice what he did to begin the process of breakthrough. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to move right on through this passage. In verse 3, in the very first month of the first year of his reign, Hezekiah reopened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He summoned the priests and the Levites to meet him at the courtyard east of the temple. And he said to them, listen to me, you Levites, purify yourselves. And purify the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all the defiled things from the sanctuary. Our ancestors were unfaithful, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned the Lord and his dwelling place. They turned their backs on him. They also shut the doors to the temple's entry room, and they snuffed out the lamps. They stopped burning incense and presenting burnt offerings at the sanctuary of the God of Israel. And that is why the Lord's anger has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. We're being judged. And God wants us to turn around. He has made them an object of dread, horror, and ridicule, as you can see with your own eyes. Because of this, our fathers have been killed in battle, and our sons and daughters and wives have been captured. But now I will make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship, and to present offerings to him. I mean, King Hezekiah, as a young leader of 25 years of age, is exhorting and challenging uh, the spiritual leaders of Judah to step forward and repossess um, their responsibilities to represent the people before the Lord and to honor God with worship that is in alignment and in obedience and heartfelt. You know, Hezekiah believed that if he honored the Lord, that the Lord would take care of them, even though their enemies were great and their vulnerability was profound. How relevant is that? You guys, how relevant is that? You know, as I shared last week, I think a, a lot of us, we... We feel surrounded by trouble. Still, we do. I mean, last year was, it was tough. 
And we started into this one still with some great challenges. And they're still ahead of us in many ways. And if we are honest, we feel vulnerable. And we should. And remember, whatever issues that we're struggling with, and I, I have to assume that we have areas in our lives. All of us are different. I know that. And maybe some of us have done better during this period than others of us have. But I can't help but think just the nature of life, the nature of this time, that we all have something that we are needing to trust God for in an area in our life where we are wanting breakthrough. And maybe there are more than a few areas where we want to see God bring his breakthrough. And remember, it's not about, you know, being spiritual, godly. uh, It's not about denying. There's no virtue in denial. It's not about denying. It's about aligning. And aligning is always about intention. What we choose, the direction of our will. Let me put it another way. And I'll just kind of see if we can put this up. Intentionality is the want to. And there's no substitute for it. And if we don't want to do something, it's not going to happen. Intentionality is the want to. Strategy is the how to. Discipline, the stick to, and accountability, the help to. That's when we bring others in. And when they're combined, I mean, when you combine those elements together, those are keys for breakthrough. They Breakthrough comes, and it's almost like it, you can't stop it when you begin to put these things into place, right? I'll say it again. Intentionality is the want to. Strategy is the how to. Discipline, the stick to, and accountability, the help to. And if we think about it, Hezekiah, I mean, he was making a case for all four of these things. That's why I love this study. Hezekiah wanted the Lord's house opened, and he wanted it repaired. That was important to him. He had the want to, the passion, and the desire to see it happen. And remember, there's there's very little substitute for passion You know, sometimes the first prayer we should pray is, Lord, put the want to in me. Put the want to in me. Give me a hunger. Because Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for what is right, for they shall be filled. He encouraged us in that direction, right? For a reason. Because it's got to start there. We got the want. So sometimes I go, Lord, my heart isn't, isn't really hungering for your ways the way it should. And when that happens, other things find their way in. But God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, doesn't he? The want to is huge. The passion, the desire. I remember reading about a piece of advice that Abraham Lincoln, arguably our greatest president, with the possible exception of George Washington, uh, who I refer to, and I'm not, this is not an original, but I've heard historians refer to as the man who would not be king. I mean, George Washington was remarkable in that regard, for he would not be king. And, um, but I remember Abraham Lincoln, who led our nation through one of the most polarizing time, well, the single most polarizing time in history, in the history of our young nation. Abraham Lincoln, I believe, was raised up by the Lord to guide us through it and to get us to the other side. And there was a moment where I recall reading about how he gave a young man who was aspiring to be a lawyer advice. And he said this, he says, if you are resolutely determined to make a lawyer of yourself, the thing is more than half done already. 
always bear in mind that your resolution to succeed is more important than any other thing. In other words, what he was saying is, once you resolve that power of resolution, that's how it really can be, be you know, like the, the breakthrough comes when we resolve to do it. There's no substitute for resolution. Hezekiah was resolved, wasn't he? He had a passion. He had a passion for the house of the Lord. He wanted those doors opened and repaired, and he wanted it cleaned out and restored. He was a believer. He was a true believer. <laughs> you know, he believed that if the people honored the Lord, starting with the priests and the leaders, isn't that usually where it begins? That God would deliver and bless. And so he laid out his plan, you know, fix it, clean it, um, restore the worship, align that worship with God's commands as he's given us. And so Hezekiah had the want to, but he also had, and I think you can see this, he had the how to. Think about it. What do I mean? He had a strategy, didn't he? He had a strategy, a plan to act on his want to. So there may be things that we feel letter of the Lord to do, or we sense God calling us to respond to. The want to is there. There might be areas in our lives that we want to fix. We really believe God is calling us to address things. The want to is there, but we need to have a how to, because we need to have a strategy. Otherwise, we will lose heart. We will flail around. We will waste our energy. It's a very inefficient and unsustainable thing to move into a want to without a how to. But notice, he exhorted them. He encouraged them to be tenacious and committed. Look what he says in verse 11. My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. Don't do that. Stop it. Stop putting off what you know God wants you to do. Don't neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you. I mean, he challenges them with a sense of their identity in the Lord. He says, the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. He's basically saying, look, I'm the king, but your responsibility is to lead the people towards the Lord. I can't do that. You can do that. You're called to do it. Basically, what he was saying was live out of a sense of your calling. Commit yourself fully. And it's a reminder that the breakthrough we have will always be connected to self-discipline. We're talking about the need to conquer ourselves, right? That is important. It's essential to live out a sense, out of a sense of your calling. Commit yourself fully. Um, I remember uh, reading something asserted by a wonderful motivational writer named Alan Lloyd McGinnis. He, he wrote... It is a mistake to suppose that self-discipline is learning to conquer yourself. Rather, it's realizing we are a bundle of contradictory impulses. Boy, isn't that the truth? The impulse to achieve coexists with the impulse to seek the easy way out. The impulse to become highly proficient in some field coexists with the uh, you know, impulse to pamper ourselves. When you decide to learn self-discipline, right, to stick to you decide to become unified. You are saying no to, self and to the self-indulgent and self-coddling tendencies and yes to the desire for accomplishment. 
right? So you, you look at what was happening there, you know, a want to, a how to, a stick to. And then he makes a case for one more thing, doesn't he? And I love it because what he said was your, the breakthrough that God wants to give us is going to be connected also to the help too. I mean, King Hezekiah knew that he could not do the work alone, that to succeed, he needed to involve others. And so he challenged the priests and the temple workers to get involved and join the cause. And it's a real powerful reminder of the value, isn't it, of partnership and its connection to breakthrough. Indeed, as the scriptures remind us, two is better than one, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. We are better, you know it, together. We're better together. We always are. <laughs> you know, none of this lone wolf. Uh, there is a time to be alone. You know, the Lord modeled that. He he sometimes went to a solitary place. So there, there is a time, there is a pattern for getting away and being alone, being alone with our thoughts, being alone with God. But we're not to have, I think, a life that is, and it's certainly not true when it comes to spiritual things, that our growth with God. When we're, if we isolate ourselves, the Bible says we seek our own judgment. That is, we end up creating a pathway that produces a result that will not be what we really need, nor is it what God wants to give us. Because that tendency to pull away from community is going to create a selfishness. And the training tool that God often uses to grow us is others. We need to be challenged to live with patience and uh, vulnerability and love and kindness and forgiveness. I think for love to be fully expressed, there needs to be an other. That's one of the reasons why God created humanity. And that's also why God put Adam with Eve and out of his own, because the other allowed for love to be expressed. Otherwise it was, it was a different kind of love. So the value, and I, I don't want to walk too far down that road, ex except to say that we were created not to do this by ourselves. When, when, when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't say, go out by yourselves. He said, go out at least with one other. Go, he sent them in twos. Because if one falls, as we know, another can help pick them up. There's, there are unique temptations out there. There's unique vulnerabilities out there. Uh, we're just not strong enough. That's just the truth. The most mature of us, and, you know, I don't know who that is, but we're not strong enough. There are going to be times where we're going to stumble, where we're going to fail to live up to a sense of what we should be honoring the Lord with. And we will We will find ourselves hurting and wounded and being unmotivated and at times uh, in pain. And in those places, we need other people, right? We, we do. The journey was, n none of us are that good. Like we're not, 
We're not so strong. We all have vulnerabilities. We all have weak spots. We all have uh, blind spots. We all have areas where we, if the right button's pushed, if the right pressure is applied, we will fold. You say, how can you say that? You know, I'm I'm a strong person. No, no, it, it is true. We're all different. We're all unique. Some of us are stronger than others, but none of us are comprehensively stronger in every area. Jesus was the only one who was able to withstand every every attempt of the of the evil one to take advantage of who he was in his humanity. Because we have broken humanity in us, we are vulnerable to so many things. Jesus himself tempted at all points yet without sin. We can be tempted at a few points yet with sin. See what I'm saying? It's just different. So we're going to need not just the Lord's help. That's just (laughs) the Christian life cannot be lived apart from Christ. (laughs) The Jesus way cannot be uh, done with excellence without Jesus. I mean, we need the Lord. We need his Holy Spirit working in our lives. There are going to be times where we're going to need God to just supernaturally step in and save us. Like Peter, who's reaching out his hand as he's sinking in the water after an amazing step of faith. He's drowning and, and, and Jesus brings him up. And he says, oh, you have a little faith. Now, I've always thought to myself, wow, you know, I mean, it took a lot of faith to get out of that boat and walk. But when he started sinking, he got his eyes off the Lord and he looked at the situation and the circumstances. He started sinking and Jesus had to save him. And I've known that. I think many of us have. We've come out of moments of, of perhaps spiritual, you know, victory in our life or We've had a wonderful season of of growth and we find ourselves building great momentum. And then all of a sudden, just the way life hits us and the way some spiritual things come at us, we find ourselves flailing and drowning and in need of the Lord's help. Thank the Lord that he does reach reach to us and and, um, carry us and pull us up and save us. But a lot of times the Lord's method of saving is going to be others. And that's why the help to matters. Remember, You know, the want to, the how to, the stick to, and then the help to. And we're going to need the help of others as well. This journey is meant to be done with others. Christian life is meant to be lived in community. That's why I do encourage all of us to be in small groups and in accountability relationships. I myself have a few small groups that I'm involved with. I also have an accountability. Now, those things don't, you know, and I'm talking about in addition to my wife, and those, those things, um, you know, can't substitute for my alone time with the Lord when I still got to make decisions on my own, but they can be of huge benefit. And that's just part of living the Christian life the way Jesus designed it to where it can work most effectively. We need that. We really do. And I would encourage all of us to seriously think about if we're not already involved in a small group within the context of community, to listen to the voice of the Lord obey him and get connected. It's not that hard. You just let us know. We'll find a place for you. Our pastoral team is ready, prepared, and desirous. And that, by the way, may mean that some of you need to step up and either host a group in your own unique way. You've got training. You've got experience. Don't wait for the perfect moment. A lot of times the growth moment is happening because we're willing to step into something that God is opening up. It's going to challenge us and grow us. Some of us, we just need to get reconnected. It's not about leading anything. We just need to get involved, engaged. We need to be able to have some degree of vulnerability in prayer. And I look at that and I go, that's a huge 
part of the healthy life with Christ. We are better together. Hezekiah knew that. He knew that this, this goal he had, he couldn't do it on his own. And you know, I was reading about another relationship, thinking about how to, and um, well, this one had to do with help to. And I was thinking about, uh, well, I was reading about the relationship between Sir Edmund Hillary, the New Zealand mountaineer, and Tingze Norgay, the Nepalese Sherpa, who in 1953, they became the first two human beings in history to climb the summit of Mount Everest. It was the first time it had ever been done. And we also know that when Hillary and Norgay were coming down from the peak, the descent had its own peril. So it was one thing to get there, and it's another thing to get down. And everything that I've read tells me that coming down is the underestimated peril of going up. Hillary, he suddenly lost his footing and he began hurtling down a crevice on a block of ice. <laughs> he, it looked like he was going to die. And, but Norgay, his, his partner, held the line taut and he kept them both from falling by digging an axe into the ice. Like he, he got it in there and, and then he held the rope. Later, Norgay refused any special credit for saving Hillary's life, saying... I love this. I love what he said. He said, mountain climbers always help each other. Mountain climbers always help each other. What a fitting picture of what the Christian life is supposed to be. We too are on a quest. We are mountain climbers in the spirit. There are peaks, there are valleys, there are crevices, there are times of ascent and descent. Moments when survival is dependent on a brother or a sister, to use the language of scripture, digging in on our behalf and holding the line, right? You know what I'm talking about. We're not only talking about the safety of fellowship and accountability, we're also talking about the power of a shared vision and a shared quest. So it's two better than one, not just for safety, which is good, but also for the joy of a shared quest. And I think it's one of the reasons for the enduring popularity of, of that theme in, in movies and, and literature, uh, you know, certainly like The Lord of the Rings. I think it's one of the reasons for the enduring popularity of The Lord of the Rings that Tolkien captured this, the sharing of a noble purpose in the face of unrelenting evil. And there's a, you know, that, that's one, it, it speaks, there's life in it. And there is a powerful breakthrough dynamic that is released when we can unify behind a God-honoring goal. I think we understand that. It's one of the reasons why we also get the blessing of being in a church. Because as, and that's why our church needs to have goals and have aspirations, why a family needs it. It does. Because in, a, in that kind of an atmosphere, it's easier to become better. The training component as well. Like we make each other better. We sharpen one another. Do we see how that in a marriage, uh, in a family, in a church, in a small business, or any organization um, or ministry that cares about relational health um, and pleasing God, that, that we need to have that help to component in place? Do you see how important it is? Uh, remember, want to, how to, stick to, help to. But let's finish up with Hezekiah and the temple. 
16th verse. The priests went into the sanctuary of the temple, so they heard Hezekiah's challenge. They went into the sanctuary of the temple of the Lord to cleanse it, and they took out to the temple courtyard all the defiled things they found. And from there, the Levites carted it all out to the Kidron Valley, a valley that you can still visit today, by the way. Um, On our last trip to Israel, you can see the Kidron. And that's where they took this, and they dumped it. And and it says they began the work... uh, in the early spring and on the first day of the new year and in the eight days that that had reached the entry room of the Lord's temple. Then they purified the temple of the Lord itself, which took another eight days. And so the entire task was completed in 16 days. Now it was at the beginning of their new year, which is a little different than ours, but it was a new year. And I think, boy, that's, that's where we are right now, isn't it? Come on. Um, the Lord might be speaking to us. And I have one, I do have one last thought to share. I'll call it uh, a breakthrough bonus, or we can call it the fifth key to breakthrough. But I want to add it to the, to the four we've, we've talked about. And, um, you know, it's connected to the song that we're about to experience together. So, you know, Lord, you know where, where, um, we need it most in our lives, and we ask you for that breakthrough. But, oh, I do need to remind everybody, this is the time when I get to remind you <laughs> about, about giving and about being faithful unto the Lord. You know, we are to bring our tithes and offerings to the storehouse. And um, some of you are magnificent in your faithfulness, and you do this. You do this because you love the Lord. So remember, you can give in a number of different ways. Uh, You can give it by sending it into our offices. You can give it uh, online and you can give it through the app, which is what I do. But as I always say, before we give anything to the Lord, let's give him our heart because there's no substitute for that. So I'm coming back around. Let's share this song. And even now, Lord, help us to receive it in Jesus name. Here we go.
All right, wasn't that a blessing? Now listen, remember I mentioned to you that there was a fifth key. I called it the bonus key. <laughs> I called it the bonus key. And, you know, I, I'm going to end slightly different than I have been doing lately. I want to end with a teaching point. I want to read one more portion of scripture. Just hold, stay with me, you guys. I hope it's worth it. You'll see. But we read that after the completion of the cleaning and the restoration of the Lord's house, verse 27, then Hezekiah ordered the burnt offering to be placed on the altar. So after they did the restoration and the cleaning, they cleaned it out. He, he said, let's sacrifice unto the Lord. And as the burnt offering was presented, songs of praise to the Lord were begun, accompanied by the trumpets and other instruments of David, the former king of Israel. And the entire assembly worshiped the Lord as the singers sang and the trumpets blew until all the burnt offerings were finished. And then the king and everyone with him bowed down in worship. King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to praise the Lord with the Psalms that were written by David and by Asaph the seer. The, and so they, they offered joyous praise and bowed down in worship, didn't they? And that's why I love the song that we just did. It just called us into a place of worship and vulnerability and um, connecting back to a tradition that's grounded in the, uh, the first church in a way, the Church of Israel, that God set up to lead us into the, the coming of Jesus. And I love the fact that the Christian life is embedded in song, but it's not just song for song's sake. It's song for a purpose, isn't it? And that leads us into the one that I call the bonus from the, the want to, to the how to, to the stick to, to the help to, and then to the unto, right? The unto. In, in, in addition to the others, it's the unto. I'm talking about our praise. I'm talking about our songs of gratitude unto the one who is worthy of it, isn't he? The one whose love changes everything and who invites us into a life of love. You know, I look at that moment with Hezekiah and the celebration and what a special moment it was filled with joy and gratitude and praise as they worshiped the Lord. And, and you and I are invited to sing our songs to our songs of love to the Lord. Yeah, we are to have a melody of worship always on our lips. <laughs> always on our lips. We are his children and children sing songs of joy, sons and daughters. That is who you are so greatly loved. And he, as you know, is so God and he's so good and he wants us to so God and to so good. And we have, we've been given the, well, can't do it if you're not feeling thankful. It's gotta flow out of our heart. Right? The want to's gotta be there. So Lord, give us the gift of breakthrough and remind us that it all begins with a want to. My prayer for you all is that the Lord would keep you in every way, your heart alive with him, and keep you in spirit, body, and soul in Jesus' name.